giant gargantuan <laughs> power itty bitty living space. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 55. I'm Brian Sheely. I'm Ryan Joy. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. We are in week 11 of the End of the Book reading program, closing out the book of Acts in Acts chapters 27 and 28, and getting into Romans chapters 1 through 3 this week. Before we get started, let's get into our Finding Jesus segment. And so where do you find Jesus in these last chapters of Acts and the first chapters of the book of Romans. I went all the way to Romans chapter 3. It's a good place to go. Yeah, it really, really is. So Romans is Paul's, I think, deepest, richest, most complete look at what the gospel is all Mm -hmm. about. And so all these sermons in Acts that we've been reading about here, he just fleshes it all out and he lays out in the first few chapters the problem, which is our sin. Everybody sinned. Everybody, there's all these problems. And then we come to that wonderful, but now in verse 21. And um, so the verse that I want to focus on where I find Jesus in this is in Romans 3 verse 25. The English Standard Version of that says, Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation, but I want to give you the meaning of that real word here in a minute, but as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And remember that pistis means faith and or faithfulness. Mm -hmm. And so the Young's literal translation, beginning in verse 22, says, And the righteousness of God is through the faith, or I would say through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all and upon all those believing, for there is no difference. And then he says that everybody sinned and we're declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus Verse 25, whom God did set forth a mercy seat. Mm. That word propitiation in the English standard, literally a mercy seat through the faith in his blood for the showing forth of his righteousness because of the passing over of the bygone sins in the forbearance of God. I know this is a lot we're talking about, and this is kind of what (laughs) Romans is like. Paul is just packing in ideas. Mm Mm-hmm. The gist is, through the faithfulness of Christ, we who put our faith in him can be freely declared righteous. But there are these three concepts from Exodus and Leviticus here that just get packed in to help us understand that question, why did Jesus need to die? What did the cross really accomplish? What's it all about? And the first is redemption. In verse 24, God set his people free from slavery in the Exodus, and and we are those redeemed people who've been set free by Jesus' sacrifice. And the second is the Passover in verse 25. God has passed over, passed over us, passed over our former sins by Christ's blood. And then the most interesting to me and most exciting is this idea in verse 25 of the mercy seat. And you remember what the mercy seat was? That lid on the Ark of the Covenant. Exactly. So this was where God's 
presence, kind of the center point of God's presence on earth. You know, you think of the the temple on Mount Zion, but you're zeroing in to the temple, the holy place, the most holy place, and then that lid of the Ark of the Covenant with the the wings, the cherubim and everything. This is where God's presence lived. And people, man met God there once a year on the Day of Atonement when the high priest came into the sanctuary and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat to make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people. And here's what he says here. What Paul says is Jesus is not only the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat to bring us atonement and let us dwell with God. He is also the mercy seat itself. He is where we meet God. He gives us the way for God to dwell in us. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I, I love all of these words. This, this idea of redemption and propitiation not words we use commonly very often, yeah. <laughs> but I think they all kind of have this sense of reconnecting two separated things. Yeah, isn't that great? So this word propitiation here, it's a different Greek word than the word for propitiation in First John. And we think mm-hmm. of propitiation, we think of the wrath of God being appeased and things like that. But again, while that is is here that uh, that idea of atonement and Christ's blood bringing that atonement that lets us dwell with God as you said the this word is used in the Septuagint in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for as you said that place where God meets the mercy seat itself and and you know Jesus is at the right hand of God connecting us to God we come before God through him he is the only way And so he is the covenant. I think of a Venn diagram and (laughs) the overlap happens in Christ. That's the only place that that overlap can happen is in Christ. I can't tell you how many times I've drawn that exact same Venn diagram for my (laughs) kids that I teach in Bible class. Oh, I love it. It's all about the in Christ idea. That's where it all happens. Amen. Mine is from the last chapter of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 28. You'll remember this is from Paul's words after he has been imprisoned in Rome and he's been speaking. He's been given quite a bit of freedom to interact with people, to talk to people. His friends could come and visit him, but they were so interested in what Paul had to say. These Jews, they appointed a day for him and they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Hmm. So Paul is basically going back to the very place where Jesus went to after his resurrection. Remember when he was speaking with those two men on the road, and as he was speaking to his disciples later on in that day, that's where he went, the law and the prophets, mm-hmm. and convincing them, trying to convince them that you guys have been reading about this your whole lives, if you're Jews. You've seen these passages, you know what has been said, and Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. Mm-hmm. It's like those magic eye books that you look at, those <laughs> like squiggly lines and yeah, all that. Yeah. We've talked about this on the show before, but you're looking at it and you see what it seems to be on the surface, but it takes a certain kind of looking. Mm-hmm 
a certain change in perspective to be able to see what's actually under the surface. And they can't see that. And it's, it's actually why Paul, after this, begins to quote Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, where essentially he says, look, you guys can see, but you can't really see. Mm-hmm. And it offends them, probably in a big way. And a lot of them turn away and don't want to hear any more that Paul has to say. And the thing that I find interesting about all of this is when you point people to Jesus, when you point people to who he was with all of this prophetic evidence that we have with all the law and the prophets, when you point them to the Messiah, it's going to cause people to have to make a decision. You either believe or you don't. Mm -hmm. And Paul's not satisfied with a bunch of half-convinced people. And so he puts to them a challenge. You either believe this or you don't. And it's hard enough for us to, to get out sometimes and to speak to people about Jesus, about our faith, about the gospel that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But then putting on them that, that decision point, now that you see this, now that you've been made aware of this, make a decision. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't afraid to do that. And I don't know, maybe sometimes I'm a little bit afraid to put that kind of a decision point out there for people. Yeah, yeah, it's... It- it can be nice to just talk about ideas and we can all stay comfortable. But if you, yeah, if you don't really make it clear to people that all of this is about choosing not just what you're going to believe, like, yeah, I'll buy that, but what are you going to do about it? Because this is all kind of a big question mark to directed at you. Are you mm-hmm. going to commit yourself to it? Or walk away and that's really the only two choices are you one of the messiah people or are you not (laughs) right yeah exactly okay so let's get into our second segment and that is scripture du jour what is the soup du jour it's the soup of the day Mm, that sounds good i'll have that so we're on thursday here in our into the book reading program in week 11 and that means we're in romans chapter 2 and so what out of Romans chapter two just jumps out and grabs you? There's a lot here. Yeah, there I is. I think all of Romans, we're going to say that. There's a lot here. <laughs> Man, so. yeah. Yeah, I I grabbed on to one little verse in his section on the judgment. And Paul only really deals deeply with the idea of the judgment day and God's judgment in this section in chapter two at the like the first half of chapter two and in verse seven he says to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality he will give eternal life (laughs) and i thought that was interesting that you it's those who seek for glory and honor and immortality that are going to receive eternal life but not everybody who seeks glory and honor and immortality are going to receive eternal life, you you know, and it might seem like, isn't it wrong in itself to seek glory and honor and immortality? That sounds just wrong to even, I'm using Bible language, but it, it feels wrong, but it's true. These kinds of visions of grandeur can inflate our pride and and bring kind of twisted thoughts that, that we're not suited for. The key, yeah. I think, is we have to shift our paradigm, our thinking about the path to glory. And our problem isn't that we, that we desire self-preservation or blessings for ourselves or glory and honor for ourselves. It's that we get all mixed up about how to seek for glory. I think a lot about Revelation 
chapters two and three, yeah, when Jesus is essentially promising each of these seven churches some really amazing things. Like you're going to sit on the throne. It's like, is that really what my goal should be? Yeah, yeah. In a sense, yes, it is. That's what we should be wanting. No, I'm supposed to just lower myself and not ever think about myself. Well, yes, that's true. But that's the how Mm -hmm. to save your life. If you want to save your life, you have to lose your life, Jesus said. You want to be put first, you have to put yourself last. Exactly. It's not wrong to want to be first. It's not wrong to want to save your life. The sons of thunder wanted to sit at his right and left hand in glory. He didn't say, (laughs) don't seek that. He said, are you able to drink the cup I drink? You know, my glory (laughs) is on the other side of suffering and sacrifice and submission and service and all this stuff. Do you really want to suffer through what? I must. And then he tells them, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to be the servant of everybody. And mm-hmm. it's it's so it's about rewiring our thinking about greatness and glory. Put God and others ahead of yourself. That's how we seek it. And so here in, in, in Romans 2, 7, he says, you need to seek glory, honor, and immortality by patience in well-doing. Which is yeah. like the genie, you know, giant gargantuan <laughs> power, itty bitty living space. <laughs> you know, and you think of um, glory and honor and immortality. Here's how you do it by this very small, simple thing. Just steadfastly, consistently, well-doing, doing good. Yeah. Doing good for the Lord. This is the way to become those glorious immortals in the image of Christ. So what am I seeking and how am I seeking it? Does that's what I took from this. That's good. So what where did you what did you grab onto in today's reading? Yeah, so nearing the end, kind of toward the end of Romans chapter two, when he's talking about the real problem that these Jews who he's talking specifically about or to, he's talking to them about their hypocrisy pointing out to them how they boast in the law. They think they're so special because they have the law. But then he points to them and says, you don't practice what you preach. Mm. And so he says in verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And I think it's that last statement that he makes that really just sends chills up my spine. Boom. That idea that like your life, how you live your life, you might hold up the fact that you are just such a great teacher. You have all the right things to say. You're instructing people and you're changing people's lives. But at the end of the day, if your life doesn't back up your words, then people are going to look at you and they're not only going to feel negatively toward you, but ultimately the name of God is going to be blasphemed. Mm. And that's a scary thought. It's scary to think that the way I live my life, the choices that I make can actually take people and turn them against God, not just against me. It makes me think of what Paul says in first Corinthians three about people who you build on the foundation you might build with brick and you, some build with gold and silver and all these things, but other people are building with straw and they can escape as one, just like barely being singed as they run away from the fire is the picture I get. Like you're teaching and you might not be lost for the way you're teaching because you weren't teaching the fault the wrong thing and you weren't you were trying to help out but the way you're teaching 
is not accomplishing it, what it needs to accomplish. And so the work you're doing is getting burned up and you'll barely be saved because of the way you're doing it. So as a teacher of, of the, the gospel and, and scripture, I take that idea to heart. I take it to heart as, as uh, humbling. My life mm-hmm. certainly can become something that could turn people off. And the way I teach even if I'm teaching the truth, can be something that turns people off or a reason that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. It's interesting to me how there's this phrase, do as I say, not as I do. Mm. Yeah. And that that tends to be internalized, I think, by a lot of people. But I don't honestly know anybody who would literally say, do as I say, not as I do. But just because we don't say it, just Mm -hmm. because it's not something that we would tell people, doesn't mean it's not not a problem that we have, that we are teaching, but are we living what we're teaching? And that's really what Paul's focusing on here at the end of of this chapter, Mm -hmm. is just take stock of yourself. It goes back to Jesus' example of the log in your eye that you're out there trying to pull out a speck from somebody else's eye. It's never going to help anybody until you address your problems first. Mm -hmm. And getting them the Jews, these religious people, to really come to the understanding that, you know, you're not as good as you think you are, is something that me, as a follower of Christ, I have to be thinking about too. I could very well ask myself all of these questions, and if I can't honestly answer them positively, then maybe I've got this same problem. I just preached on Sunday about that, uh, taking the log out, and it's amazing how easy it is to turn outward with our criticism. And I think that can actually be a helpful trigger if we really take Jesus' words and Paul's words here to heart, that every time you start looking outward and being critical of anybody, you know, other other people, anywhere, the celebrities, government, whoever, it doesn't mean you can't evaluate other people, but let that be a reminder, just a little mental trigger. Oh, now let me check myself. Is there anything that I need to grow and, and, and anything that I need to change, anything that I need to improve, any sin in my life? And that starts to give us this growth mindset that that really makes us more able to actually go to people and with integrity and humility and compassion actually teach others. Well, it's good. So let's get into our third segment and we're going to talk a little bit about some heavy words. Whoa, this is heavy. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? One of the biggest concepts that Paul focused on, as you already alluded to, is the gospel in the book of Romans. And that really is kind of the whole gist of what Paul is talking about here in this book. And so we thought we'd take a few minutes and talk about this word. So what does gospel really mean? Well, we usually say good news or glad tidings. I like the phrase, a great announcement, I think is <laughs> is really accurate to what it means. This is a happy proclamation that needs to be made and sent out across the empire, across the world. Pass this on. People go from town to town shouting, it's here. The king has arrived. You know, this is something big has happened. It is news. And um, there's a, a famous inscription 
that says that the birth of this great emperor, Caesar Augustus, meant good news for the world. Hmm. And using this this word, euangelion, so it's not surprising that the angels who announced Jesus' birth use this phrase, glad tidings for the world, uh, as he, because really the true great king has come. And um, so this word, you know, it's, you can even think about the Greek word, you angelion we're actually familiar in english with some of those with those parts you eu meaning good like euphoria you know mm-hmm. uh, and angelion or you think of angel uh that's the the message or angels we think of as the messengers who jesus and god send so you angelion the good message and it's really rooted back in Isaiah, really, like when you get to the New Testament and you hear this talk of the good news, there's everybody's favorite chapter in, in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, this, this beautiful, powerful picture of the suffering servant that we quote, our, our, by his wounds we are healed, and, and uh, this picture of Jesus that's undeniably about Jesus suffering to save us. Right before that, in chapter 52, verse 7, there's this phrase that says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who bring good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. In other words, this is about the kingdom of God, God reigning, and it's about happiness and peace and salvation. And so, you know, it's it's not hard to imagine how, as Paul is, as he talked about earlier, preaching from the law and the prophets and explaining who Jesus is. And he talks about Isaiah 53 to help them understand this idea of uh, atonement and a sacrifice on our behalf. You know, he would back up a few verses and talk about this proclamation of salvation this good news that was coming so that's a lot of ideas packed in i just gave you but (laughs) but but throughout all of this there's there's this sense of the message that the king has come and he has brought victory well and paul in romans chapter 1 and verse 16 he really kind of lays out in the beginning of the chapter what the gospel is but then he kind of sums it up in verse 16, for he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And I love this verse. I think it's just a beautiful summary of what the gospel is. Not necessarily the facts behind it, but what it really boils down to or what it really means to us. Mm -hmm. And so he starts out here by saying the gospel is not something to be ashamed about, which totally makes sense after your explanation of the definition of the word. Mm -hmm. Anytime you've got good news, what do you want to do? You want to publish it. You want to stick it out there in people's face. You want to post it on Facebook. You You want to shout it from the rooftops. Like, you're not ashamed of this. This is good news. And so he's not ashamed of it, and it's obvious why he wouldn't be ashamed of it, but he goes on to say it's the power of God. 
all of this shows us God's power. It shows us what he is capable of doing. What is he capable of doing? I mean, ultimately, it's the fact that he saves us. Mm-hmm. And that shows his power. And that's what he says here. It's the power of God for salvation. And who gets to take advantage of this? It's not piecemeal, pick and choosing people. It's not only available to a certain category or class of people. It's available for everyone, to everyone who believes. And he says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, which is kind of what he's talking about here in these first three chapters or so, this comparison between Jews and Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Everyone has sinned. And so the power of God to save is for everyone who believes. And he says that it reveals God's righteousness. So the fact that he sent Jesus to this earth to die for us shows us how righteous he is, how much he upholds the law, how much he takes care of justice and doing what is right. And so what does it all demand? What does it all require of us? He says at the very end, the righteous shall live by faith. If you want to have access to this good news, you've got to believe, you've got to have faith. I don't know, what more could you really ask for when you're thinking about what could God do for me? What is the, what is the one amazing thing that God could do for me? Well, it's to take care of that serious condition of sin that I can't take care of on my own. Yeah, and, and to basically set everything right, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, he's going to lay out in these chapters how, as you say, that's our big problem is, is sin. And then because of sin, there's death, there's separation <laughs> from God, there's uh, this whole world that seems to be falling apart and groaning to be redeemed, to to have everything be made right. There's injustice, people get away with things. There's all these promises to Israel, but they don't seem, you know, are they really coming true? How could they even come true whenever Israel is not that righteous? How can they be God's you know, light to the world. How can he, but then how can he save evil Gentiles either? They're falling apart. Like what, how can God make everything right? Because Mm -hmm. he can't be just, it's reveal going to reveal God's righteousness. How can he be righteous and save unrighteous people? But how can he be righteous and not save us? So like, how can he work all of this out? He's going to reveal his perfect rightness and justice and goodness because he found a way and he had Mm -hmm. this plan, of course, before the creation of, of the world, he understood this way that he was going to, to save us in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And if you back up just a few verses before this, at the end of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 28, verse 28, after he basically pokes them in the eye and says, you guys hear, but don't understand and you see, but never perceive. Mm -hmm. He says in verse 28, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. They will listen. I mean, come on. (laughs) Like that's the, lay the smack down. I mean, he's just, he's giving it to them and really just saying like, this is what God wants. He wants people to listen. And if somebody is willing to listen, it doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter what their nationality is or what their past life looked like. If they believe in him and they turn to him in faith and repentance, 
then they're accepted by him. And and that's really that's the thesis, the main point of the whole book. So yeah. as as we read the rest of the book, he has laid down what he has decided to try to prove, to sh- try to show is that this good message that he's going to explain reveals God's righteousness and saves people. Yeah. And so we could watch just keep coming back to how he's showing that to be true as as we read the rest. Sure. So as I thought about the gospel, I, I grabbed on to verses two through five here, just how he starts the book. He kind of starts the book and ends the book proclaiming some basics of the gospel. And I think there's some facts here that just just to begin it, he explains the heart of the gospel. You know, this mm-hmm. is amazing. All the parallels in what he says in these first few verses, like this one long run on sentence, as Paul likes to do. <laughs> and sure does. <laughs> and you can see these parallels between that and the sermons he's preached. But he, he says that he was set apart for the gospel of God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, as you talked about er- earlier, concerning his son descended from David according to the flesh. So this is a story about the Davidic Messiah. This is the promises made to David that there would be a king from David's line. That is the gospel. Mm -hmm. But wait, there's There's more. more. He was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Mm -hmm. His resurrection has confirmed, established, made sure what has been proclaimed. And and we saw that, uh, to use your words, you said, sometime in one of these talks about the the book of acts you said the apostles have a hobby horse and it's the resurrection of jesus well this is why right this is Mm -hmm. this is at the heart of it all the resurrection is the evidence and the making right of this problem of death jesus himself has done it jesus christ our lord so that's at the heart of if you want to break down to four words what the gospel is jesus christ our Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the true Lord of everything. And then he says, here's the point. Here's what we're trying to bring about by the gospel. So this goes back to what you were saying earlier about a point of decision we need to bring people to. Mm -hmm. The point of the gospel is not just to announce that Jesus is the the king and the lord and the son of god but to bring people to submit to him as christ and lord and so he says through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations that's the point if you it's it's not to say i believe jesus is the christ the son of god the lord that doesn't mean anything if you believe he is then have the obedience of faith. That is, submit yourself to him as the Lord. And that's that's the gospel, is to understand who he is and have the obedience of faith because of who he is. I forget too often that this phrase, obedience of faith, is right here in the beginning of Romans. And the end. I think it clarifies so much about what he's saying, because I know a lot of people go to the book of Romans and in Paul's conversation about faith and what faith does and how faith saves us and grace particularly as well. And they walk away from it thinking things that aren't accurate. And I don't think support what he's actually saying here. Faith is not like you said, 
just mentally acknowledging, yes, Jesus is the son of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, move on. It's the obedience of faith. It's what faith actually does in your life. And Jesus talked a lot about that. Peter talked a lot about that. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot more conversations about what faith does. Go to Hebrews mm-hmm. 11, see a lot about what faith actually mm-hmm. does. And this obedience of faith is something that Paul is standing by. It's not just about mentally acknowledging Jesus, but really sticking the flag down and saying, all right, now that I believe this, what am I going to do about it? Yeah, he he begins with it and he ends with it in verse mm-hmm. 26 of the last chapter, like right the next to the last verse, he says this again, his goal is to bring about the obedience of faith. And if this is a story about a king, what is the point of having a king? Mm-hmm. It's that he might have a kingdom that submits to him, that follows him. And so we obey our king and 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 our obedience is based in our trust and our loyalty to him. So it's the obedience of faith. And that, yeah, I, I think you're right. That is, if you want to break down the gospel to what is the end goal, the, that is our part in the end goal to accept it and then to follow him, to yeah. embrace it. Yeah. Yeah. And the gospel, as he describes it here, it really does mean something to you. Like it's not just a it's not just a mental acknowledgement like we've said a few times, but it really does change you. It transforms you. And mm-hmm. you can't walk away from knowing who Jesus is without making a decision about whether or not you're going to follow him. And no, you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be perfect enough to earn salvation. You're never going to be perfect enough or right enough to have God say, "Well, I have no other choice but to let you into heaven." I mean, it's, it's never been about that. It's always been about the fact that we could not have done all the things leading up to our obedience of faith. We couldn't mm-hmm. have sent Jesus. We couldn't have designed this perfect right plan that God put in place. He did that part. And we have to acknowledge our sinfulness, as he talks about here later in Romans. We have to acknowledge our sinfulness and we have to get on board and change. I love what you said about the gospel that it does something to us that's a really good way to say it is the power of god for salvation the gospel does something it's not it's not just something we can talk about and think about it it really you, you we've just read in the book throughout the book of acts uh, an account of basically how the gospel does something. Paul just goes mm-hmm. into these cities and starts to proclaim these things, radical, weird ideas, but he explains them and it does something to people. Yeah. And it's it's not like they don't have the ability. It's not about free will. It's just it does something. And I, I, it makes me think of a C.S. Lewis quote, and I'm going to get it wrong, but he basically said something like, I believe in the resurrection like I believe in the sun, not because... I can see it. Like you can't really look and see the sun. You you don't want to look directly at the sun, but because (laughs) by it, I can see everything else. Yeah. You know, you can see everything else more clearly. It's like once you get this, this truth that God loves you so much that not that he said you're okay in your sin. No, he is good and he wants you to be different, but he sent Jesus. He is Jesus, you know, the God, the son comes into the world 
and dies and raises from the dead and he died for you and that resurrection can bring life to you and it's like once you get these truths and you can start to see their story in the old testament and you can start to see how it's going to play out ultimately in the end of time everything else makes sense and you want to submit to the gospel paul says a few places we need to obey the gospel what does that mean that means submit yourself to this this message and put yourself under it and and obey what it tells you to do which is follow the king so let's get into the challenge for this week and i think you've got it i do so keeping it simple we're talking all about the gospel I want to encourage you to share with someone what the gospel means to you how it has changed you and why these truths these core ideas of the gospel are so powerful and so important to you you know i think that's one of the big lessons that we get from paul's preaching too he was constantly talking about his conversion and i think that's a great way to open up to people especially just talking from a personal standpoint and saying what has it done for me and i think that's a, a great way to share with people yeah all right everyone Thanks so much for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. You can find show notes for this episode at BibleGeeks.fm slash 55. We're on social media all over the place. Go find us. Check out our daily download series. Check out our Into the Book reading program if you haven't started following along. You can always catch up. It's only one chapter every weekday. And until next week, everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.